just when I finish my to-do list. We need more chips, Mom. Honey, I need a lot of chicken. Something else comes up. That's when I use Instacart to help get everything we need from BJ's Wholesale Club, delivered right to our door in as fast as one hour. And then finally, I can relax. Mom, I think we're out of toilet paper. Time for another BJ's order. Download the Instacart app or visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first order. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. You see it every day. The first dollar you earn from your first customer. Now it hangs on your wall at headquarters. A reminder of where you started and the promise of what's still to come. In part because you rely on Sandy Spring Bank to help you make the right choices on real estate and equipment loans, treasury management, and commercial services. We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk about your business. Visit sandyspringbank.com slash business. Credit products offered by Sandy Spring Bank. You're listening to the Bible Blog Sabbath Worship Service. We hope you will join us this morning with an open Bible and an open heart as we experience the truths presented to us by our Creator. Well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome once again to the Bible Blog Sabbath Worship Service. Thank you all for joining me um, from wherever you may be at across God's green earth. I do apologize that we are starting so late. It has been quite an interesting day around here. Um, Woke up first thing this morning and all the chickens decided to literally fly the coop and were like two, three doors down in other people's yards. So we had to get all them. And the ones we've gotten back in, their wings have been clipped. It was really a... uh, an ass-in-the-ditch kind of uh, situation this morning. Um, But nevertheless, God is good, and he has allowed us to come together virtually once again. And um, we've got, you know, we've got some interesting things that God has laid on my heart to talk about today. Um, As you can see, uh, today's message will be called The Promise of Destruction. And I do feel like this is a timely message, giving everything that is going on in the world, um, especially this week. This week has been crazy. If you listened to our news broadcast, um, it has been quite an interesting week. But I want to open up with a word of prayer, and I really want to share these words uh, from Lewis Bailey. And this is from Piercing Heaven, Prayers of the Puritans. And this is uh, Create in me a new heart. Create in me, O Christ, a new heart, and renew in me a right spirit. Then you will see how I will serve you as your new creature, in new life, after a new way, with a new tongue and new manners, with new words and new works. To the glory of your name and the winning of other sinful souls to your faith, keep me forever, O my Savior, from the torments of hell and tyranny of the devil. And when I am to depart this life, send your angels to carry me as they did the soul of Lazarus into your kingdom. Revive me into that joyful paradise and you promised to the penitent thief who at his last gasp 
up upon the cross, begged for your mercy and admission into your kingdom. Grant this, O Christ, for your own name's sake. I give you all glory, honor, praise, and dominion, both now and forever. Amen. And what a beautiful prayer that is. And that is my prayer for not only myself, but for each and every one of us today as we study God's Word. So take a few minutes, pause it, as uh, we did last week. And if you and your family are listening, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs together as the Bible commands, and we will come back and get into today's study. All right, if you've got your Bible on you, if you will, turn to Psalm number 110. Psalm number 110. And this is what the psalmist says. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. Amen. And let's go over to Exodus chapter 15 real quick. And I want to read out of the law. And this is the song of Moses. You've got your Bibles, Exodus chapter 15, and this is what it says, starting in verse 1. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He is become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him in habitation. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Verse 3, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank into the bottom as a stone. Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy, and in the greatness of thine excellency thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sentest forth thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. And with the blast of thy nostrils, the water, water were, waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright as an heap, and the depths were congealed into, in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them, and I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. Thou did blow thy wind, the sea covered them, they sank as lead in the mighty waters. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? 
Thou stretchest out thy right hand. The earth swallowed them. Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. The people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of Palestina. Then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed, the mighty men of Moab. Trembling shall take hold upon them, and the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. Fear and dread shall fall upon them by the greatness of thine arm. They shall be as still as a stone till thy people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over which thou hast purchased. Thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountains of thine inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in, in the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horse of Pharaoh went in with his chariots and with his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought again the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. Let us pray together. Father, our God up in heaven, the creator of everything that we see and everything that we don't. We come before you today, Father, and worship, and we thank you for your mighty hand that has protected your people for these thousands of years and countless years that the earth has existed, Father. We praise you for sending Jesus to die upon the cross for us all, Father, and we just ask that you send your spirit down with us no matter where we are, Father, across your earth or where we are in relation to listening to this in a temporal sense, Father. For we know that we are all come together in your spirit, Father, and that neither time, space, nor anything else, Father, can stop us from coming together when we are in your spirit. For you have created everything that we just mentioned, Father, and we just ask that your spirit fall upon us all as we worship you this morning. We ask that as your word is delivered, that it will not return void, not only to myself or to, to all of, all of these, these beautiful brothers and sisters that are listening, Father, but to myself as well, Father. I ask that you be with me as the word is presented, Father, that we will, the word of God will be preached rightly. And justly. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our high priest, under the order of Melchizedek. Amen. Well, um, if you will, turn in your Bibles once again to the book of Hosea. And... We're going to go to Hosea chapter 4, and this is what it says. But before we get into that, I do just want to ask these questions. Ask yourself these questions, especially if you are new here and you wonder why we're meeting on the Sabbath instead of on Sunday, why we're doing this virtual worship service on the seventh day and not on the first or the eighth, as some call it. And these are the questions I would ask. Has the law been abolished? Have the commandments of the Old Testament been destroyed? What is the nature of the new covenant under Christ? 
And what is the nature of the falling away of which Paul prophesied? It's these questions, brothers and sisters, that I hope we can answer over the next few weeks together. But first, we're going to focus specifically on the nature of the first two. Have the law, has the law been abolished and the commandments of the Old Testament, have they been destroyed? Of course, many of us would know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Think not that I come to destroy the law and the prophets. I come not to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth should pass away, not one jot or one tittle. One jot or one tittle shall in no wise be removed from the law till all be fulfilled. And Jesus goes on to give a warning in verse 19 for... um, Let me pull it up because I'm going to get it wrong if I don't read it uh, word for word. But this is what Jesus says. In verse 19 of Matthew chapter 5, he says, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments shall teach men so, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But so whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. Now with that in mind, let us go to the book of Hosea. And starting in chapter 4 and verse 1, And this is what the word of the Lord says. Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. For the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out, and blood toucheth blood. Therefore shall the land mourn, and everyone that dwelleth therein shall languish, because the beasts of the field, and with the fowls of heaven, yea, the fishes of the sea shall also be taken away. Yet let no man strive nor reprove another for thy people are as they that strive with the priest therefore shalt thou fall in the day and the prophet also shall fall with thee in the night and i will destroy thy mother my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected knowledge i also will reject thee that thou shalt be no priest to me seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy god and i will also forget thy children this is the word of the lord brothers and sisters and so i would ask again I would ask you and urge you and think real carefully, especially those of you who may not be entirely convinced of the nature of God's word and how it is unchangeable start to finish. And you may be listening to this and you may be say, but no, we're in a new and better covenant now. And to that, I would say yes and amen. But that does not change the nature of what God's morality is. It does not change it at all. God himself said, I am the Lord. I change not. So you have to ask yourself when we live in this time and we see all of these lawless pastors, um, and quite a few come to mind, and many of you who listen to our weekly show on Saturday nights know exactly of whom I speak. They're in our introduction. 
But these men, they step up in their, quote, pulpits, and they claim that either God broke the law for love or he's gotten rid of the Old Testament law and we're done with that. Yet, I see Jesus, who is God in the flesh, saying something completely different. Brothers and sisters, we as the American church overall, many of us listening that are here today together, we know the truth of what is happening. But all in all, as a whole, the church of America has a lack of knowledge and destruction is coming. And as we compare our passage in Hosea to other chapters and verses throughout the Bible, we will, we will notice a threefold knowledge that was both lacked then and lacked now. Um, and this is what Matthew Henry had to say about Hosea 4.6. Before I get into the, the threefold lack of knowledge, I want to read what Brother Matthew Henry said. And this is what he said. He said, Those that rebel against the light can expect no other than to perish in the dark. Or is it a charge upon the priest who should have been still teaching the people knowledge? See Ecclesiastes 12 verse 9. But they did not. Both priests and people rejected knowledge, and justly, therefore, God will reject them. Notice how he used the future tense there. God will, therefore, will God reject them. The reason why the people did not learn and the priests did not teach was not because they had not the light, but because they hated it. They forgot the law of God, nor desired to transmit the remembrance of it to their posterity. And therefore will God forget them and their children, the people's children. Or it may be meant of the priest's children, that they shall not succeed them in the priest's office, as in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 20. And so when we when we when we dig into this today you will see a threefold lack of knowledge that was both present then and is present now because as the preacher said in Ecclesiastes there is nothing new under the sun what has been will be. Um and this is the threefold number 1 there is a lack of knowledge of sin. Number two, there is a lack of knowledge concerning obedience. And number three, there is a lack of knowledge concerning grace. Now, in regards to a lack of knowledge concerning sin, notice the apostles' words in Romans chapter 7. And this is what Paul says in Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid, nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manners of concupiscence, for without the law sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. 
For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. Was it then was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid, but sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do I allow not, for what I would, that I do not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law, that it is good. Now many, the Bible says that many do not understand the words of Paul, and they twist it to their own destruction. So we are going to call in some more help from brothers and sisters past, mostly brothers, because that's the ones you see that are written down that are easy to find. But we're, nonetheless, we are going to go to counselors of old and see what they said on this. And we'll start with Brother John Gill. And this is his note on Romans chapter 13. Was that then which is good made death unto me? An objection started upon the last epithet in the condemnation of the law. And it is, as the objector should say, if the law is good, as you say, how comes it, 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 how comes it to pass that it is made death? Or is the cause of death to you? Can that be good which is deadly or the cause of death? Or can that be the cause of death which is good? This objection taken out of the mouth of another person proceeds upon a mistake of the apostle's meaning. For though he had said that he died when the commandment came and found by experience that it was unto death, yet does not give the least intimation that the law was the cause of his death. At most, it was, it was only an occasion, and that was not given by the law, but taken by sin, which, and not the law, deceived him and slew him. Nor is it any objection to the goodness of the law that it is a ministry of condemnation and death to sinners. For lex non damnans, non ex lex, a law without sanction or penalty, which has no, con- no power to condemn and punish, is no law, or at least a law of no use and service, nor is the judge or the sentence which he according to the law pronounces upon a malefactor the cause of his death, but the crime which he is guilty of, and the case is the same here, whereof the apostle answers to this objection with abhorrence and detestation of fixing any such charge upon the law as being the cause of death to him, saying, God forbid, a way of speaking used by him as he observed when anything is greatly disliked by him and is far from his thoughts. Moreover, he goes on to open the true end and by reason of sin, by the law working death in his conscience. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that is, the vitiosity and corruption of nature, which is designed by sin, took an occasion 
quote by that which is good, that is the law through its prohibition of lust to work in me all manner of concupiscence, which brought forth fruit unto death. Wherefore, upon the law's entrance into my heart and conscience, I received the sentence of death in myself, that so sin by it, working death in me might appear sin to me, which I knew never knew before. This was the end to be, and is answered by it, yea, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful, that the corruption of nature might not only be seen and known to be sin, but exceeding sinful as being not contrary to the pure and holy nature of God, but as taking occasion by the pure and holy law of God to exert itself the more, and so appear to be as the words may be rendered exceedingly a sinner. So, in other words, what we can see here can easily be explained by Psalm 19, verse 7, which says, The law of the Lord is perfect, making wise the simple. See, the whole point of the law of God is to show that we are sinners. That is why the law of God is so Perfect, because without it, what did Paul say? He said that sin, without the law, sin is dead. There is no sin if there is no law to condemn sin. And yet preachers, so-called preachers, so-called proclaimers of the word of God have thrown that out and are unhitching themselves from probably the single most important thing that any sinner needs, and that is conviction of their sin. Brothers and sisters, I remind you of the words that Ezekiel spoke, or rather that Ezekiel wrote down, but the Lord spoke them in Ezekiel chapter 33. If we see, if we are watchmen on the wall and we see the sword coming and we warn not the people, their blood is on our hands. Ignorance is ignorance. Brothers and sisters, and sometimes, sometimes we have a tendency to neglect the ignorance factor and put everybody under the blanket of rebellion. Now, we're all rebellious in some form or fashion. It's it's part of our fallen nature, and we'll get more into what the Bible says we need to do with our nature later on. But we do need to remember that it is our job to warn them. It's not our job to make them listen. Not That's not our job. Our job is strictly to warn the people of the sword that is to come. If we warn them and they choose not to listen, their blood is on their own hands. But it is time for you and I to step up, brothers and sisters, because... The pulpits of America are filled with wolves. Whether or not they know they're wolves does not matter, but they are wolves. Make no mistake about it. And to prove that, we're going to go on and look at even more notes. This is what Charles Spurgeon said concerning Romans 7.13. And he says, sin is rebellion against God and exceeding sinful because it interferes with the just rights and prerogatives 
of God, the great invisible God whom we cannot see, whom even our own thoughts cannot encompass, made the heavens and the earth and all things that exist, and it was his right that what he made should serve his purposes and give him glory. Human beings are favored in God's creation. We are not inanimate clods or worms having only sensations without intellect. We have been favored with thought, emotion, affection, and a high spiritual existence. We have an immortal existence. We have been especially bound to be obedient to the one who made us. Does God not have rights toward us? Have we forgotten him that made us? We have, we have sinners spent their power. Why? Excuse me. Why have sinners spent their powers and faculties for anything but his glory? It is indeed exceeding sinful. When the royal rights of him by whose will we exist are ignored or impudently contravened. Yet, according to the part we take in sin, we trample on his edicts and consider his jurisdiction as nothing. We must meditate on his attributes and consider his majesty, for he is not for he is not only infinitely powerful, wise, all-sufficient, and glorious, but he is also supremely good. His character is matchless. He is a pure and holy God whom we worship. Nothing in God warrants human rebellion. He is our Father, our God, our great shepherd king. No one can frame an excuse when we for a single moment revolt against him or lift a finger against his will, it would and should be the greatest pleasure to serve him. The angels will tell you this. It is total bliss to do his will. You will not hear preaching like that in a modern day pulpit. It is all but extinct, sadly. Adam Clark had this to say. About Romans 7.13. Give me just a minute to pull that up and we'll read that together. Adam Clark says this. Regarding Romans 7.13. When was this, when was that which is good made death unto me? This is the question of a Jew with whom the apostle appears to be disputing. Do not, do you allow the law to be good and yet say it is the cause of our death? The apostle answers, God forbid. By no means. It is not the law that is the cause of your death, but sin. It was sin which was which subjected us to death by the law, justly threatening sin with death, which law was given that sin might appear, might be set forth in its own colors when we saw it subjected uh, us to death by a law perfectly holy, just, and good, that sin by the law might be represented what it really is, an exceeding great and deadly evil. 
Albert Barnes. Another man of God says this regarding Romans 7.13. Was then that which is good, this is another objection by which the apostle proceeds to answer. The objection is, can it be possible that what is admitted to be good and pure should be changed into evil? Can what tends to life be made death unto a man? In answer to this, the apostle repeats that the fault was not in the law, but in himself and in his sinful propensities. Brothers and sisters, and anybody else who may listen to this, if you think that the law is is either bondage or it is something that is, if you read this and you get any inkling that the law is evil, then by God, you better fall on your face and repent because you are in danger of hellfire. Because you are attributing that which God put for good to evil, and that is blasphemy. Plain and simple, it is blasphemy. You can like it, you can not like it. Don't take that up with me. Take that up with God. God put this law here. This is God's law that you and I in our sinful, wicked nature have chosen to run away from. The uh, the Bible says that the carnal mind is at enmity with God. And it is the carnal mind that would look at the law as a thing of bondage, misappropriating what the Apostle Paul had put. (coughs) It is not the law that is bondage. But it is the condemnation under the law without Christ that is bondage. Because Christ came to set the captive free. And what were they free? What were they captive under? They were captive under the curse that is the law. The wages of the law, as Romans 6.23 says, your due wages for committing sin, the transgression of God's law, is death. And unless you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you keep his commandments, death is what you will get. Now that we've looked at some of the commentary on these verses, we can compare scripture with scripture. And Romans 3, 4 says this. It says, for what if for what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid, yea, let God be true. But let every man be a liar, as it is written, thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. But if our righteousness if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God Unrighteous who taketh vengeance, I speak as a man. God forbid, for then how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And not rather, as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil, that good may come, whose damnation is just. 
understand what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He is saying those that work evil, that good may come, that we sin, may, may grace may abound. Same principle here. God forbid. Paul is saying their damnation is just. Romans 6.23, as we said, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. 2 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6 says this regarding sin. 2 John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. My little children, these things I write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby do we know that we know him if... We keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. That's the word of God, friend. That's not my words. The word of God says that if any man saith he know Christ and does not keep his commandments is a liar. Think about that and let the word of God convict you. Verse Five, but whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought to walk, ought himself also to walk, even as he Christ Jesus brackets walked. Galatians chapter three. Starting in verse 1, says this, and we're going to read through verse 14. Galatians chapter 3. This is a go-to verse. This is a favorite verse of people who love to talk about the bondage of the law and how the law of God is no more. We don't need that, is what they say. Haven't you read Galatians? Well, let's read Galatians and see what it says. Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Christ Jesus hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Received ye the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it yet be in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doth he do it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of the faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall the nations, goyim in the Hebrew, ethnos in the Greek, it's where we get our word Gentile, the nations be blessed. So then, they which be of the faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith, and the law is not of faith. 
but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come unto on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Understand that the law never was meant to save. Never. Never meant to save. I'm going to go back to Exodus 20, 19. And I'm going to show you just how that connects to Galatians chapter 3 that we just read. Exodus chapter 20, verse 19 says this. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. Now, this is right after God was on Mount Horeb and had given the first Ten Commandments on the stone. Other banks go out of their way to make redeeming credit card rewards needlessly complicated, like how they require minimums or force you to use your rewards before reaching some arbitrary expiration date. But Discover isn't like that. With Discover, you can redeem your rewards for cash in any amount at any time. So you'll never have to jump through hoops. Unless you're like a trapezist, then by all means, go right ahead. Learn more at discover.com slash redeem rewards. Terms apply. Texting privacy policy and terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun, and everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text GRADE to 323232 now. Text GRADE to 323232. Now, notice, this is what Spurgeon says about Exodus twenty nineteen. The law was not given with the sweet sound of harps or of the song of angels, but with an awful voice from amid a terrible burning. Not in itself is the law condemnatory. If there could have been any, if there could have been life by any law, it would have been this law. But by reason of human sinfulness, the law works wrath. And to indicate this, it was made public with the accompaniments of fear and death, the dread artillery of God with awful salvos, adding emphasis to every syllable. The tremendous scene at Sinai was also in some respects a prophecy, if not a rehearsal, of the day of judgment. If the giving of the law, while it was yet unbroken, was attended with such a display of awe-inspiring power, what will that day when the Lord will, with flaming fire, take vengeance on those who have willfully broken his law? To us, that day at Horeb is a type of the action of the law in our nature. Thus does the law deal with our conscience and hearts. If we have ever felt the law spoken home to us by the Spirit of God, we have heard great thundering with it. 
We have been forced to cry with Habakkuk when I heard my belly trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered into my bones. And God intended it to be so that we might look to the flames Moses saw and abandon forever all hope of acceptance by the works of the law. Make no mistake, there is no salvation in the law of God. There is only the desperate and grim realization that you are a sinner condemned before a holy and a just God and that nothing you can do of your own will ever save you from the damnation that awaits you in your sin. But that is what makes the gospel shine forth even brighter is in the darkest moment of a human's existence. Christ came and could rescue you from your sin by dying on the cross, pouring forth his blood in your place as the propitiation of your sins. All you need do is accept him as the thief did on the cross and follow in his footsteps, as we read in Second John, you ought to walk even as he himself also walked. And you can find newness of life. You can be redeemed by the blood of Christ. So that way you may do good works unto righteousness, as Paul writes. That was why we were created. We were, we were redeemed for good works. And the good works that we do are found in the morality of God's Law, not for salvation, but so that others could see the light of Christ in us and bring forth their own realization of sin and hopefully come to salvation as well. Make no mistake, friends, God's a lot smarter than you or I. And if we would just but read his word from front to back, we could see the greatness and the beauty of his awesome plan. John 14, uh, so secondly, this leads us perfectly into our second point, a lack of knowledge concerning obedience. John chapter 14, verse 15. We'll start in verse 15. John chapter 14, starting in verse 15, says this. My goodness, it's taking me a while to get there. John chapter 14 and verse 15. And we're going to read through verse 21. If ye love me, this is Jesus at his last supper with his disciples. If ye love me, keep my commandments and I will pray to the father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. And that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he... It is that loveth me, and that and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. 
We have lost what it means to be obedient in America. We have become fat, as Moses told the Israelites they would be when they got in the land of milk and honey. We have become fat with the increase of the land. We're trusting in our own power and no longer trusting in the power of God. Albert Barnes said this in regards to John chapter 14, verse 15. And I just got to get over there. Give me just a second. In his notes on uh, John chapter 14, verse 15, this is what Albert Barnes had to say. If you love me, do not show your love by grief at my departure merely or by profession, but by obedience. Keep my commandments. This is the only proper evidence of love to Jesus for mere profession is no proof of love, but that love for which for him, which leads us to do all, all his will, to love each other, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow him through evil report and through good report is true attachment. The evidence which we have that a child loves its parents is when that child is willing without hesitation, gainsaying or complaining to do all that the parent requires him to do. So the disciples of Christ are required to show that they are attached to him supremely. By yielding to all his requirements and by patiently doing his will in the face of ridicule and opposition. John Gill, in his notes on John chapter 14, said this. If you love me, not that Christ doubted of the love of his disciples to him, but he argues from it to their observance of his precepts. That's an Old Testament word. His precepts, seeing ye do love me, as all do who are born again, who have had any spiritual side of him, of his glory, suitableness, and fullness, who believe in him and have received from him, who have had his love shed abroad in their hearts, having enjoyed communion with him, and know the relation he stands in to them. These love him above all others and all of him, and that belong to him unfeignedly, and in the sincerity of their souls, as did the disciples." And since they professed to love and did love him, they ought to do, he exhorts them, saying, Keep my commandments. Christ is Lord over his people, and he is the creator and redeemer of them, and he is an head and an husband to them. And as such, he has a right to issue out his commands and enjoin a regard unto them. And these are peculiarly his, as distinct from, though not in opposition to, or to the exclusion of his father's commands, such as the new commandment of loving one another, and the ordinance of baptism, and the Lord's Supper, which are to be observed and kept as Christ had ordered them, constantly in faith and with a view to his glory. Notice what he said there. Christ is Lord over all his people, and yet we act as masters unto ourselves. Men without law. This is what the church has become. 
in the modern America, friends. We are a church without law. We are anomia. We are even anti-nomia. We are against law. We want nothing to do with the commandments of God, but only want to chase after the lusts of our own heart. Which is really sad because obedience, and this is why we have a lack of knowledge concerning obedience, because obedience is key to bringing forth good fruit. Notice what the epistles say on obedience. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, says this. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. If ye did be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil, concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. In which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. We have a special guest coming to join us. Susanna has just woken up from her nap about 10 feet that way. And so we're going to let her sit with us. Hello, Susanna. Did you have a good nap? Can you tell everybody hello? Can you tell them hello in there? Say hi. Well, she's breathing, nonetheless. So, but notice, notice the the notice what happens to those who are disobedient. The children of disobedience will be met with the wrath of God. Going back to what Hosea said in Hosea chapter four, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. That was the words of Yahweh that he was writing down in that passage. So, why wouldn't the New Testament epistles? Be saying the same thing. Romans chapter 6 and verse 6 says this. Romans chapter 6 verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him. Knowing that Christ was being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. So if the wages of sin are death and death have no more dominion over Christ and we live in him, logic dictates that we must therefore be obedient. But if there is no law of God, brothers and sisters, what are we being obedient to? Ask yourself that question. Romans chapter 8 and verse 13. Romans 8:13 says this. 
For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Galatians 5.24. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 24 says this. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If you live, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Envy, of course, being a violation of the Ten Commandments, which are a part of God's law. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 6 says this. Ephesians 5. Verses 3 through 6. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be therefore not partakers with them. Okay. Romans chapter 6, verse 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those who are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. And of course, we can go to Romans chapter 7. And verse 5 and 23 say, For we were in the flesh, for when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, were, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Verse 25 of chapter 7 says this, And I thank God through Christ Jesus our Lord, so when... So then with the mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh... The law of sin. Make no mistake, there are two different laws out there. There is the law of sin, which sadly many in the church are chasing after, when it is the law of God that we should be chasing after. James chapter 4 verse 1 says this. James chapter 4 and verse 1. And forgive me, I'm starting to lose my voice a little bit. So be in prayer that we can get all the way through the message for today. From whence comes wars among you. So let's back up to chapter 3, verse 18. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace unto them that make peace. From whence come wars and fightings among you. Come they not hence even of your lusts 
that war in your members ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss. The things you desire, the things you are asking for, they are not in line with God's will, so you're not getting them. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all of this will be added unto you. Your food, your shelter, your clothing, your basic necessities needed for life. If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all of these things will be added unto you. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. But people go to that verse in Romans chapter 6, verse 14 that we just read. You're not under sin, but under grace. And they twist it with such a malice. And it becomes evident that, as number 3 says, there is a lack of knowledge concerning God's grace. Now, of course, before we get into that, I do just want to back up real quick because there was one important thing. When you look at all this death that we just talked about, how the children of disobedience have all of this, understand this is something we've brought on ourselves as a society because Paul even says that the law is manifest in the Gentiles. They know that murder is wrong. They know that all of these things are wrong. It's written in their hearts as well because we're all made in the image of God. But years ago when everything went awry, their descendants are still living under these curses. These curses found in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 15. This is what the law of Moses, the law of God, says about the curse of sin. Deuteronomy chapter 28, starting in verse 15. But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. These are the curses that Paul talked about in Galatians chapter 3. Cursed shalt thou be in the city, and cursed shalt thou be in the field. Cursed shalt thou be shall be thy basket and thy store. Cursed shall be the fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy land, the increase of thy kind and the flocks of thy sheep. Cursed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and cursed shalt thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall send upon thee cursing, vexation, and rebuke in all that thou settest thine hand unto for to do until thou be destroyed and until thou perish quickly because of the wicked wickedness of thy doings whereby thou hast forsaken me the lord shall make the pestilence cleave unto thee until he hath consumed thee from off the land whither thou goest to possess it the lord shall smite thee with a consumption and with a fever and with an inflammation and with an extreme burning and with the sword and with blasting and with mildew And they shall pursue thee until thou perish. 
And the heaven that is over thy head shall be brass, and the earth that is under thee shall be iron. The Lord shall make the rain of thy land powder and dust. From heaven shalt it come down upon thee until thou be destroyed. Leviticus 21 through 9 and Leviticus 26, 14 through 17. I don't have the time to go into them with you, but I do encourage you to read them in and of yourself because they say the exact same things. The law of God brings the curse that Paul was talking about. It is the disobedience to the law that brings the curse, not the law in and of itself. But yet that is what these apostate Shepherds in these fake pulpits have brainwashed their sheep into believing. And it is all because they have a lack of knowledge concerning grace. Because nevertheless, some will argue even still, we are not under the law, but under grace. So let's delve into grace. Romans chapter six fourteen says, you are not under the law, but under grace. And this is what it says. Let's go there once again. We've read some of this already. Romans chapter 6, verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are whom ye obey, whether under sin, unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Understand that God's grace gives you the freedom that you need from the curse of the law to be as obedient as you can to Christ, not out of obligation, but out of love and willingness to bring forth fruit to Christ so that one day we may lay a crown at his feet. Now, when we back up just a few verses to the beginning of Romans chapter six, this is what it says. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Spurgeon wrote this concerning various verses that we have just read, starting with verse 14. While we were under the law and simply heard it command us to our duty, the command seemed to awaken all the hostility of our nature, so that we remained under the dominion of sin. No, But now no longer does the law speak to us as it did before. We are not under the law, but under... Another principle governs us, the grace, the favor, the love of God has shown us the love God has shown us in Christ Jesus appeals to our hearts and we cheerfully yield it, 
Yield to it the obedience of our unregenerate spirits refused to render when the law demanded it. In verse 16, he says, The one who lives a life of sin proves that he is the servant of sin, for he has obeyed its commands. Let that person know assuredly that he has nothing to do with Christ while living in sin. But no, the one who lives in obedience to Christ and seeks after his righteousness and true holiness is evidently the servant of righteousness, and so the servant of God. In Romans 6.21 We might say to the slave of sin, you had such pleasure as sin could give you, but was it worth having? You derived some profit, perhaps, from evil pursuits, but did the profit ever make up for the loss you thereby sustained? You have had the experience of sin to the full. Has it, after all, turned out to be the fair and lovely thing it once seemed to be? It came to you with all manner of deceitful unrighteousness, like Jezebel with her painted face. But it has worked nothing for you but sorrow and suffering. And it will work your eternal ruin unless God in his great mercy shall prevent it. Understand exactly Spurgeon was spot on. Spot on. Grace allows us to submit to the obedience of the law that our once unregenerative natures would not allow us. And I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray that those who don't realize it I pray that they they will realize it because one cannot have the true regenerative nature of Christ without realizing that we have to subject ourselves to the morality of his commands and his law. Because it is Christ who is our example. It is Christ who we are supposed to emulate. And there are other verses we could go over. Romans 5, 12 through 21, Jude 1 through 8, 2 Peter 2, 1 through 7, and 20 through 22, 2 Peter 3, 15 through 18. All of these could illustrate, <clears throat> excuse me, all of these could illustrate how we have no knowledge of grace. But understand that, simply put, it is grace that allows us to be obedient to Christ. Because in our sinful nature, we could never be obedient. And even after accepting Christ without submitting to him in obedience, we still have no hope. It reminds me of the old hymn. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. That, that is our grace, brothers and sisters. In Christ alone, our hope is found. Because it is through his revealed doctrine that we have any hope of being obedient to the law that we will one day be judged by every single one of us. And so as you're listening, I do want to say this in closing. Christ is issuing a warning to those who are his sheep. To the, the warning and those who are his sheep will hear it. Matthew 23. Matthew 
Chapter 23. And starting in verse 16. Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold. And whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing. But whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gift or the altar that sanctifieth the gift. Whoso therefore shall swear by the altar, sweareth by it and by all things thereon. And whoso shall swear by the temple, sweareth by it and by him that dwelleth therein. And he that shall swear by heaven. Sweareth by the throne of God and by him that sitteth thereon. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ye ought to have done and not to leave the others undone. You blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous and say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, be ye witness unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. How can ye escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them ye shall scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city that upon you may be may come all the righteous bloodshed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias the son of Berechias whom ye slew between the temple and the altar verily I say unto you all these things shall come upon this generation O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered you together as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye say, Blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord. Revelation chapter 18. A grim warning. To all of those who want to continue living in sin. Revelation chapter 18 and starting in verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. 
Reward her even as she rewarded you and double unto her according to her works in the cup which she has filled to her double. How much she has glorified herself and lived deliciously and so much torment and sorrow give her. For she saith in her heart, I sit a queen and am no widow and shall, and shall see no sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine. And she shall be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. Revelation chapter 14 speaks of the harvest. And notice when you read it. I regret that we don't have time to do it here. But when you read it, notice that it is the wicked who are taken in the harvest first. Just as the parable of the wheat and tares prophesied. And notice that all will stand before God at the judgment seat in Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 10. This is what it says. Revelation 20, 7 through 10. And when the thousand years were expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up in the breadth of the earth and compassed, and the saints came about the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the fire in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever. And I saw a great white throne and, and, and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of these those things, which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was, not, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is awaits all those who are disobedient, who rebel against the morality written in the law of God and in the doctrine of Christ. But take hope, saints. Our Father promises this for the faithful. Second Chronicles seven fourteen says this. Second Chronicles chapter seven verse If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open and my ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. Understand, brothers and sisters, how we need to do is humble ourselves and pray. We've, we sound the alarm. We warn the people of what is to come. That is all we can do. 
At that point, we must just humble ourselves and pray and seek his face. And then let us not forget what Jesus said earlier in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 20. That if we love him, we will keep his commandments and he will pray to the father and he will send us a comforter, even the spirit of truth. These are promises that await the righteous brothers and sisters. And everybody who is listening to this this day must ask themselves, you must choose ye this day whom you will serve. But I do know this, as Joshua said, as for me and my house, We will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for letting us gather virtually again to be able to come into your house up in heaven and sing your praises and preach your word and just give you the extolation that you deserve, Father. We are unworthy to be able to come before you and we thank you for the grace that allows us to do that, Father, because that is what your grace truly is. And we just ask that as we all go our separate ways that you will have your hand on us, Father, that we may be a light unto the world no matter where we are in the world, Father, because these are truly dark times that we are living in, Father. I pray that you will have your hand on your remnant, Father, that you will keep us safe from the judgment That is to come, if that be your will, Father. I pray that you will, your word will shine forth and get to the evil, wicked leaders of this world, Father, because this world is in turmoil. There is a power shift happening, Father, and we just pray that we are here to battle the principalities and the powers that are behind it. And we ask all of you, all of this, Father, we ask you this. In Jesus' name, and we all proclaim together, amen. I hope you all have a wonderful week. I hope if you're listening to this, you will join us just here in a few hours as we're recording this for our weekly show, CCR Weekly, on our main YouTube page. We'll be discussing Satan's most sinister plan and how it is coming to fruition today. So God bless each and every one of you, and we will see you next week in the Bible blog Sabbath worship service. Good night, everybody. You're listening to the Bible blog Sabbath worship service.